0: Welcome to podcast number 21 of Practical Wisdom from ACP Financial Advisors, a monthly program about creating and operating a successful financial planning practice. We're a presentation of the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners, known as ACP, a community of tax-focused financial advisors operating under a unique retainer-based fiduciary business model. I'm your host, Ken Robinson. On our show today, the retainer model and increasing fees. ACP is the community of tax-focused financial planners operating under the retainer model. We've talked a few times in past episodes about our tax focus, both with and without tax preparation as a part of the practice, but up to now, we haven't spoken much about the retainer model. Of course, there are various fee models to choose from, both AUM and hourly models appear easy to understand, easy to calculate, and seemingly easy for consumers to comparison shop. So why turn instead to the retainer model? Why fix a fee that doesn't change for a period of time? And what about as your services evolve? When you're able to add more value for clients, shouldn't the fees you charge reflect that? And what happens when you do increase fees? Our guest today is Jake Keebler, CFP EA, owner and senior financial advisor at BlueStem Financial Advisors with offices in Champaign, Illinois. A former member of ACP's board of directors, Jake's also the co author, along with me, of the white paper, The Financial Planner's Retainer A Reflection of Real Value, which you can download from the ACP website. You'll also find a link to the white paper in our show notes. Jake also has an enviable record of client renewals and of explaining his firm's value proposition. Jake, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Ken, happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Sure. So the word retainer has a number of different meanings. When we're referring to the retainer model in financial planning, what are we really talking about?
1: Well, Ken, I think you sort of answered that question in your introduction when you talked about a fixed fee that doesn't change for a period of time. You know, I think the the thing that I would add to that is that typically a retainer fee would be calculated at the beginning of an engagement based on whatever factors your particular business is going to be using with your clients. And that fee is set. For the defined period of time, which includes the set of services that you and the client agree on. I, th- I think the best way to understand what a retainer fee is, is to contrast it with a couple other models that are out there. The, f- the first caveat I would add is that a retainer in the context of financial planning would be different than the way that many attorneys would use a retainer fee, which would be an attorney might collect a fee up front, and then the retainer in that case might just be a pot of money that the attorney charges against at an hourly rate or uses to cover expenses. The other contrast that I would make is that a retainer fee is a value-based fee. So unlike an hourly model where you're just charging by the hour for for the time that's spent with a particular client, I think in, in most cases retainer fees are not time-based fees, but instead they're a value-based fee. And so in in many ways, that makes it a lot like an assets under management or an AUM fee, which in that case, it it would also be a value-based fee because it's not necessarily based on the time spent with that client, but a quantitative measure of value being added through the services.
0: Do you actually use the term retainer when you're describing it to your clients?
1: So I do describe the contract that we work with our clients as a retainer um, in the sense of we're signing up for an annual service for a set fee and under that fee, everything that we discuss with our client in terms of the services being offered as well as just the access to us is all included for that, that retainer fee. Now, in terms of actually talking to a prospective or an interested client about our services, I don't really use the retainer as a marketing term, but more I would focus on that our services are really more like a relationship. So I I think retainer is a a good descriptor for the way in which our fee is calculated and the contract that we have with our client, but I wouldn't use it as a client-facing marketing term.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. What are some of the parameters that go into figuring typical retainer fees.
1: Yeah, well, I think part of the nice thing about a retainer fee is you you have the flexibility to make it work for your firm and your particular uh, clientele and services. I think the most predominant methods for charging retainer in financial planning services would be by using a combination of income and net worth. But again, the flexibility of a retainer is you can look at your specific client base and look at the factors that add to or subtract from complexity or the areas of expertise that you possess that allow you to add additional value. So for example, um, if you work with a subset of clients who own certain types of businesses or real estate or what have you, you can make adjustments in your retainer pricing based on the areas that may add or subtract in those complexity or, or the the types of services that you're offering.
0: I know when I think about ACP's fee calculator, which you can modify to suit the needs of the clients that you intend to work with, but that provides a framework for coming up with a retainer fee, that the framework of that calculator includes some features about complexity of income and tax complexity and investable net worth there's no uh, one set way to do this.
1: That's exactly right. Um, In our particular firm, we have simplified it, not because we don't think that the ACP calculator is good. In fact, the ACP calculator is awesome. If I, I guess, had to go back and do it all over again, I probably wouldn't have strayed from it. But we had already simplified, and so we sort of stuck with that. And we primarily use net worth as our base for the calculation. And the idea there is that We have found that in general, net worth is a good proxy for the complexity and the value that our services are able to bring, but we do still include some adjustments to that. So for example, our retainer is priced, assuming that we would include tax preparation services. And in some instances, either we're not the right experts or clients have an already established relationship. So we would make some adjustments if the client uses outside tax preparation, as well as, you know, we sort of have priced in what the average home equity prices are Because for most of our clients, their home is, well, it's not the largest asset, it is a major asset. And there is a lot of planning that goes into things like mortgage strategies, pay down strategies, buying and selling, moving, you know, all of those are things that are part of our ongoing conversation with clients, especially through major life transitions. And so we include the home equity in in our calculation because it's such a central part of our planning services. But on the other hand, there are client circumstances where home equity might be much, much higher than would be typical, um, either because they've inherited vacation properties with significant value or other circumstances. And so we sort of reserve the right to say, this is affecting your retainer fee in a way that doesn't necessarily reflect the amount of value that we're adding through our planning. So we're going to make an adjustment for that equity. And in many cases, it's we're adjusting the equity downwards and in the for the purposes of calculating our fee.
0: Certainly having a retainer formula doesn't preclude adjusting that formula for unique circumstances of a client. Uh, We've actually got some of that written into our advisory agreement where, like you, we assume that we're going to be doing tax preparation beginning with the year that we start working with the client. But our advisory agreement makes clear that if you need an amended return for a prior year, we're going to charge separately for that. It doesn't make sense to work in the cost of amended returns when they're a minority of the clients that we happen to serve in our practice. So it is it is pretty flexible.
1: Any time we talk about adjusting fees, especially downward adjustments, the one caution I would make is to the extent possible, you want to have defined parameters as to when adjustments do and don't apply i think especially early on in our practices it's very easy to either have some imposter syndrome or not feel confident in the value that we're adding to our clients and so we can tell ourselves a story as to why we should discount fees for certain clients and so one of the things that we've done over the years is as we've raised our fees we've also worked very hard to create a standard list of when adjustments are appropriate and how those adjustments are made. And and that sort of holds our feet to the fire to make sure that we're both being fair to all of our clients, right? Because we don't want to give discounts to certain clients. Uh, Our clients, in many cases, interact in the community because they've either referred each other or their colleagues or they you know they talk to each other at our client events and so we want to make sure that you know that we're being fair to everyone as well as we want to be fair to ourselves and and you know we have close relationships with all of our clients and it's it's natural to want a discount but we're not really doing anyone any favors if we're not charging for the full value that we're adding
0: right my uh, my long business coach has uh, has long said when you discount your fee your client can't help but discount the value they assign to your advice
1: yeah i think i think it sends the wrong message to a client if you're telling them you're discounting your fee you're you're essentially telling them that you don't believe that there's enough value in the services that you're providing to them so that's a great point
0: so the most Prevalent compensation model is still the assets under management model, and it's very easy to calculate. It's usually easy for consumers to understand uh, why go with a model like the retainer model, which we have to identify, first of all, how we're going to charge and how that's going to be calculated. Why not just do what most of the rest of the profession is doing?
1: Well, in some ways, I think this conversation has been well hashed out on on a lot of different resources, right? Michael Kitsis has written on it. Carl Richards has talked about it. So, you know, in, in answering your question, Ken, I really want to focus on kind of probably one major reason to, that I think AUM is maybe not the right way to charge for most firms, which is that you can't discount how an assets under management fee creates a financial incentive which is that you know we tend to focus our services on what we're paid for and if you're primarily being paid to manage an investment portfolio then your services are probably going to skew towards investment management and i don't want to say that investment management is not a major part of our services to clients but it's not the only it's not the only service that we're providing to them and in fact it's really just one piece of the overall comprehensive services that we're providing to our clients and so i think it it tends to it, it tends to send the wrong message both to the client as well as to the advisor about what are what are we doing together and where is the value in the services that we're providing for our clients you know and then there there are sort of a lot of different practical considerations as well Um, So, for example, with an assets under management fee, in most cases, you're only going to charge upon the assets that you have custody and control over, which is going to limit your client base to clients who have sufficient investable assets, as well as, you know, there's going to be a lot more opportunities for conflicts of interest. For example, you have a client that comes to you, they're willing to transfer a million dollars to you, but they still have... 401k or they've got assets elsewhere that either maybe they're unable to or unwilling to transfer to you. So then you have all these other considerations about, well, am I still providing advice on that? If I am providing advice, am I being compensated for that advice? Are conflicts of interest going to be popping up when questions arise such as, should I consolidate this account with other assets? So I I just think the retainer model. Has the opportunity to be much cleaner in the sense of you know you can charge based on a more holistic set of parameters. Um, so, for example, in our case, we're looking at total net worth um, for the ACP standard calculator. You're using in- income and net worth with a few other adjustments. So, it gives you the incentive to look at how the entire picture of the finance. Uh, excuse me, how the entire picture of the client's financial life fits together. And so you can charge appropriately for how all those different pieces add to the client's planning needs as well as the complexity of the services that are going to be needed.
0: Yeah, that's our experience over the past 20 years where we've, in many cases, been serving clients who don't have an awful lot in savings and investments, but they've got a very consequential decision coming up about their defined benefit pension plan that is going to lay the foundation for their taxable income for the rest of their lives. And that plan may merit a great deal of attention and add a tremendous amount of value. But in an AUM environment, the only incentive there uh, would have been for me to say, why don't we take this out as cash and uh, then put it into a place where I can manage it, which – you know, would not have been in the best interest of the vast majority of the clients that have had that decision to make. And instead, we can just treat that as a feature of their overall financial situation, make complexity adjustments as necessary. And it makes it very natural to return to that fundamental fiduciary question. What's in the best interest of this client and and their household?
1: (laughs) I I find it interesting the number of advisors out there who describe their services as holistic or comprehensive, but bill on AUM and only invest the assets or only really focus on the assets that they have under their direct control as assets under management. And to me, that's just leaving a huge planning opportunity on the table, which is the ability to really look at the client's entire financial picture and focus on things like tax optimization and uh, withdrawal strategies and saving strategies. And so, uh, you know, to me, I think, uh, you know, we're maybe not there as an industry yet, but I just don't see those firms that are only looking at the accounts that they control as being successful over the long term.
0: And I can't help thinking about another model that even if it's not as common in the industry, it's certainly in the mind of a lot of consumers. And that's an hourly model where, you know, you're just paying the advisor for however many hours they work. That works very well for some advisors, but there are problems with that model as well, aren't there?
1: Well, sure. I mean, so there's problems with with any model. I think the the biggest problem with the hourly model is a couple different things for our industry in particular. The first is that when clients believe that they're sort of on the clock as it were, I think they have a disincentive to reach out to you or contact you. So, you know, comparing what we do against the work that we do with our attorney counterparts who are working with our clients, for example, on their estate plan, you know, we've all seen clients who know that their estate plan is out of date and they understand that it's time to take action on it, but there's just no incentive for them to begin that process and, They're hesitant to reach out to the attorney and be proactive about asking the attorney like, oh, hey, this situation has come up. Has this impacted my plan? Do I need to make any adjustments? Because they understand every time they pick up the phone, the clock starts running. And even if it's a five minute question, they're still going to get a bill for that so so that to me is one major downfall of the the hourly model is just a pure behavioral thing on the client's behalf we we don't ever want our clients to feel like reaching out to us is either an imposition or that there should be barriers to do that
0: and i i I've actually experienced that hesitation when trying to decide, do I want to reach out to my compliance lawyer to get guidance on something about my practice, or do I want to see if I can find the answer by researching it myself? And uh, there have been times I've just declined to pick up the phone when maybe it
1: would have been better if if I had. Uh-huh. It sounds like you need to get a compliance attorney on a retainer.
0: You're exactly right. Our firm's uh, accountancy services are on retainer, and that's made it very easy to pick up the phone and call them. And And that's the experience I want our clients to have with us, and I've said for many years how much I love the fact that our clients can pick up the phone and call us or drop us an email or schedule another meeting if need be without having to worry about their fee going up. It gives us an opportunity to add more value. And when they experience that greater value, they're much less likely to wonder if they should renew. It's just, we're a part of their lives and they want to keep us around.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. Right. You know, I think there's one other, um, One other major factor that a retainer adds value in, which is that part of what our clients are paying for is access to us. You know, we've all worked with those attorneys that their caseload is just crushing and you have to send them five or six emails to even get them to respond. And if something's urgent, it might take months to turn around the initial request to the final drafting and execution of updates to estate planning documents and so forth. You know, I know some regulators have not been happy about describing retainer services as part of the benefit and part of the, the compensation is for access. But the reality is, is that's what clients want. They want to know that when they call us, that we pick up the phone. And more importantly, they wanna know that when they pick up the phone to call us, we know who they are, we know their situation, and we can quickly respond to questions because we know what the right answer is. So, you know, one example of this is, you know, in the last year, interest rates have fallen dramatically. And so we were talking to clients you know, almost on a monthly basis about, is it time to refinance your mortgage? And at the same time, we're looking at things like, well, you know, you were thinking about doing some home improvements. Maybe this is some time to cash out the mortgage to help pay for those. And we've we've had some clients who were either clients in the past or had done some limited engagement projects with us, and they would call us up and say, hey, we noticed interest rates are down. Should we refinance our mortgage? Or, hey, we're about to do our kitchen. Should we refinance our mortgage? Or should we take out a home equity loan? And I have to tell them, you know, that's a complicated question. I don't really know where you stand at the moment financially. And, oh, by the way, I have a wait list, so I can answer that for you in six months. So, you know, so I think the reality is, is that part of the retainer service and part of the benefit to the client is they know we're here for them when they need us.
0: And that that goes to uh, your point of the retainer being a you know, value-add proposition, you know, as is the ballistic, or if you prefer, comprehensive model, where we do know people's financial lives in a lot of different dimensions and and know it very deeply where saying, I have access to Jake when I need an answer to something, it's really meaningful. You've had the experience of increasing fees and having clients agree to those increased fees. Tell us something about how you've conveyed the value proposition when you've done that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting. So we, as a firm, have actually raised our fees several times, which I think is really probably a reflection on what happens with a lot of firms, which is when you're first starting out and you're eager to grow and you're hungry, you discount your, your fees because you just don't feel confident about your value proposition. And for a very long time, I looked across the industry and and felt like fees were just too high and expected that there was going to be fee compression. And my rationale was we we're on the cusp of technology disrupting a lot of the services that we do. You know, We were looking in the you know, early 2010s with robo advisors and financial planning software coming out that was more sophisticated and more integrated and automating data collection. And so I was looking at all these things and thinking as automation and artificial intelligence and all these things become more sophisticated, then our planning services are going to become more efficient and therefore fees are going to go down. It took me a very long time to realize that I was wrong in that the value proposition has not gone away as technology has changed the way that we do services. What it's done is eliminated a lot of the you know just the sort of sheer time and effort that it takes to collect information and to analyze that information but what's ended up happening at least within our firm is as technology has made our services more efficient we've just been able to dive deeper and do better planning and not only are we doing better planning but i think really what's happened is it's opened up space to focus on the relationship aspect and and what i mean by that is really focusing on our clients on having high quality high impact meetings where we're not sitting there telling the client you know here's all this great analysis we've done and let let me walk you through this model that we created but instead opening up space to just learn more about the client who are they what do they value and what's sort of the next thing in their financial life that they need to take action on to make sure that they're making progress towards whatever is important to them. So once we came to sort of that realization of hey, you know, what we're doing is very valuable to the client and the firms who put in the effort to provide those really in-depth comprehensive services where not only are we putting in that time and effort on the the quantitative side and doing deep tax planning and making sure that we're taking advantage of optimizing their portfolio and all those other value add things that we do, but we're also leaving time and space to touch on those softer side services. You know that that's that's incredibly valuable and clients are willing to pay for it. And so it took it took us a while to sort of get there and realize, you know what, maybe AUM is right in terms of the 1% of assets is generally a good representation of the value of our services being added. Um, So we need to bring our fees up to be at least charging as much as if not slightly more than what other firms are charging for the services that we're providing. So in terms of having that conversation with the clients, it was painful, right? Because, you know, you you sort of build all these reasons up in your mind as to why the client won't be willing to pay for it. Um, But the reality is, is we had around 130 clients when we went through this process and only seven of them said no. And our overall increase was around 70%. So, you know, really the, the obstacle or the hurdle there was in our own heads. You know, we kept the conversation very simple and basically said that, We're constantly improving our services and we wanna make sure that we're consistently adding as much value as possible. And we cannot continue to be a top tier service while also being the discount provider, right? So we can either be the low cost provider or we can be the high value provider. And and we've decided that we wanna be the high value provider. So here's our new fee. If you wanna continue, this is what our fee will be going forward. 70% of the clients said, absolutely understand, we'll continue. Probably another 20% said, I'm not happy about it, but you know what? We value what you do. And then you have the 10% that really pushed back. And of the 10%, some of them left and some of them ended up shopping around and realizing that, yeah, you're right. You know, Your guys' fee is in line with what the industry charges and we know that you provide a great service. So some of them even ended up sticking around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And our experience has been similar in raising fees in our firm and I'll, I'll never forget the two clients relatively early in my practice when i had you know exactly that imposter syndrome you've been talking about and trying to figure out you know what am i worth as a newer advisor and then after a while i had these two clients in particular that you know when they ever whenever they would come through the door i would feel annoyed and i asked myself why and i realized it was because i didn't feel like i was being paid enough And once I figured out that was my fault for not asking for what I was worth, I came up with new fees for both of them. And I had discussions with both of them about bringing their fees up to be in line with what we were charging newer clients who had similar levels of complexity. And I will never forget those two discussions. The one hemmed and hawed and tried to to negotiate for about 20 minutes. And then when they finally said, well, okay, you're right, I'm not going to be able to find these services this inexpensively elsewhere not only did they sign up but they literally stayed clients for life until both of them had passed on they stayed clients for every remaining year of their life the other clients their fee actually doubled and the only question they had after i explained uh why i was raising their fee was where would you like us to sign and they remained clients all these years later I think of fee increases by other colleagues in ACP, and I cannot remember any time that I've heard someone of our colleagues say, I regret raising my fees. I think explaining it and explaining the value intelligently has been an important part of that, but without exception, every discussion I've heard in 20 years in ACP of raising fees is we didn't need to be as nervous about it and we should have done it
1: sooner. Absolutely. The other interesting thing that I sometimes hear when when uh, advisors are unhappy about their fees is that early on, we have this tendency to sort of customize our services for every single client. And so it's easy to grow resentful of that over time when you get busy and you realize for 80% of my clients, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. But client Smith over here, who's been with me since the beginning. I customized what i i did for them and so now i've got to keep doing that and so i think not only do you need to focus on making sure that you keep your fees at a reasonable level and raise them if you're not but it may be time to go back to some of those clients and retrain them as to here is my core service offering and this is what i'm willing to do and you can do that softly right there's language you can use to say um you know for example Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you know, we've been doing it this way for you for a really long time, but we also have evolved since we first started working together. We've now got a staff, we've now got processes. And I'm afraid that if we keep doing this in a custom way for you, that you're not gonna get the full benefit of our services because either we're not bringing the right people in our team into situations where their expertise would be beneficial, or I'm just afraid that we're gonna miss some of those check boxes because we're not using the same process for you that we are for other clients.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's right. We've certainly experienced a time when we, have said, do we want to continue to do this thing? There's only one client left who has this sort of expectation from us. And we've followed the lead of some of our other ACP colleagues and saying, yeah, we, we used to do that. You know, we're now experts in this realm and that's where we can add the most value. If that is where you see that we can continue to add value for you, we're delighted to keep working with you. If not, let's help you find the right advisor going forward because it's no longer going to be us. Jake, we've talked a couple of times about the uh, ACP fee calculator, and I hasten to point out that ACP provides its members a method for figuring out what they want to charge. ACP does not dictate what members should charge. The fee calculator itself is very adjustable and very customizable and uh, is, is focused on identifying things that add value for the client, but the amounts that are applied to those are up to each firm. Have you found that you've over the years changed your fee calculation in a way that says, okay, we're looking at the right things. We just don't have the right fees coming from each of these places where we're adding value.
1: You know, I've always loved ACP in in the sense of it's really adaptable. So for an advisor who's just starting out, it gives you almost everything you need out of the box to start your practice and work with a client. And so your only job in those first few years is to just go out and get clients, right? And so, part. but then the other beauty of ACP is that we have this sort of underpinning of a philosophy and a way to work with clients that really emphasizes that relationship and and makes sure that we're touching base regularly with our clients and continuing to add value by keeping up with their, their life, making small tweaks, making small adjustments. And so as you begin to fill up your client base and you start to see... The particular needs of the types of clients that you work with, then you can begin to adapt the model. So, in, in in our particular firm, you know, like I said, we we did adapt the fee calculator, and actually, this happened even before I was uh, an owner. So, my firm was was founded by another ACP member, Karen Folk. And she adapted the model many, many years ago. And for a period of time, she'd actually gone to just a tiered structure. And by tiers, I mean she had basically two levels of, uh, I think she called it silver and platinum or silver and gold. And if you were of lower complexity, you were at a lower level level fixed fee retainer. And if you were slightly higher in complexity, uh, you would be at the higher level. And when I joined her, we found that the two levels just didn't differentiate enough the different levels of complexities that we had with our clients. So we expanded from two tiers to six tiers, which was our first fee increase. And it worked better. um, But one of the things that we found was that we just weren't very good about going back and reassessing our individual client situations and so we decided that we needed to have a system of calculating fees that would automatically move clients to a higher fee as their financial life and their situation progressed it's kind of interesting one of the things that uh, you know we found with our clients and working with us is when they take our advice and they increase their savings and they spend money in accordance to their values, instead of just spending money because it's there, you know, they tend to accumulate wealth and they become wealthy. And our fees just weren't keeping up with that situational change. And so we knew we needed to get rid of the tiered structure. And because we had such a simple, you know, if your net worth and income was between this range, then your tier was you know level 1 and so on and so forth we wanted to keep the next iteration simple but it also needed to adapt automatically and so that's why we selected net worth as sort of our primary piece of the the net worth calculation and the other thing about it is that we primarily work with university professors and so their net worth tends to be very concentrated in their employer 403Bs and deferred compensation plans. And so another benefit of the retainer model is we're not precluded from working with those clients, even though they're not retired and they can't move those assets over to us, Um, but we're still able to... Charge on them, and we're able to provide massive value to them because we know the university plans and we know the nuances of what's good for the client and what benefits to select. And also, because we work with so many university clients, we've also been able to get onto the Fidelity and TIA platforms to actually directly manage those accounts.
0: Excellent. Excellent. What a great example of your being able to have your service evolve as your practice has grown. And just as our services evolve and our clients' lives change, you know, the value that we're providing to them increases over time, and it's appropriate for our fees to follow suit. Jake, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure having you with us.
1: Yeah, the pleasure is all mine, Ken. Thank you for having me.
0: You've been listening to Jake Keebler, CFP EA, owner and senior financial advisor at Blue STEM Financial Advisors with offices in Champaign, Illinois. There's a link to Jake's website in our show notes, along with a link to the white paper, The Financial Planner's Retainer, a reflection of real value. This is podcast number 21 of Practical Wisdom from ACP Financial Advisors, from the Alliance of Comprehensive Planners. ACP is a community of tax-focused financial advisors operating under a unique fee-only retainer model. For more than 25 years, ACP has trained advisors in the practices and tools of a comprehensive process rooted in the uncompromising values of fiduciary fee-only planning. Our members are pioneers and innovators who together have perfected a unique retainer-based, tax-focused, comprehensive approach, providing a distinct alternative in the financial planning marketplace. ACP offers a lower-cost associate membership for those who want to learn and apply ACP's methodology prior to becoming certified members. For more information, call 910-769-1569 or visit acplanners.org.